Dr. Flockhart has been a frequent guest on Sound Medicine over the years, explaining issues in his field of pharmacology. After both chemotherapy and radiation, he's in the midst of a 20-day break from treatments. He told me that, not surprisingly, they really took it out of him. But the trick that's always kept me going is two things. One is if I get up and get moving a little bit, then that gets me over this hump. So I've been able to not maintain my energy levels. My stamina is not as great as it was, but I've managed to understand how how far I can go and be firm about when I can't go. Another sound medicine regular is bioethicist Eric Meslin. He's known Dave since they first met while at Georgetown University. Well, they've been kindred spirits ever since a lunch meeting. Where I kid you not, we pulled out a napkin and started to uh, draw some ideas about collaborative programs in pharmacogenetics and ethics. Eric gave Dave a copy of a paper about cancer survival, written by Stephen Jay Gould. Gould was a famous evolutionary biologist at Harvard University, um, a very gifted science communicator, and he wrote this paper called The Median Isn't the Message. Uh, And it recounts his own tale of being diagnosed with abdominal mesothelioma and then learning that the median survival in terms of years was a very small number. It was about eight or ten months. And it was a wonderful explanation for a non-statistician like me about what median means. It means 50% of the people will live to that uh, period, eight months or nine months or whatever the number is, but 50% will live longer. So he describes the story of picking himself off the floor at the Harvard Medical School Library when he learned about this wretched disease, but that there was a sense of optimism in what are the chances of me being in the 50% that might live more than eight months, perhaps 10, 12, 15, or, or 20 months. And I found it an interesting paper just to learn about statistics, and Gould was one of my heroes, one of my idols. And I wanted to share one of my favorite authors with him. It was almost like a mini book club. Everybody thinks that the middle statistic is the statistic. Mm -hmm. It's the one that matters. You're going to live two weeks. You're going to live 10 years. That's the number I'm going to live. That's the number that psychologically gets into a patient's head. But what is really hard to understand sometimes is that there's a high percentage of people who live a very short time, you know, and that's surprising when it happens and scary. And there's a high percentage of people who also live a long time. But in the middle, we call it the middle statistic. So, for example, in this disease, the disease that I have, glioblastoma multiforme, there are people out there who live 14 years. That's really different from someone who's going to live... 12, 14 months, which is the middle. It's also different from the short one as well. It really gives one a perspective on the need to think about it day to day rather than be waiting for 14 months to come and then here I am, I'm ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit more complicated than that. But I think for patients, that's a tremendously important thing because there are things you can do that put you on the longer side of the spectrum than the other. Doctors Flockart and Meslin have taken their collaboration on the road, doing a medical grand rounds in Florida on the issue of evidence-based medicine. One of the things that I have found useful is uh, really understanding the evidence. When it looks like there's no evidence, okay, go back and look and look and look and look and look, and then really look to see if there was evidence that you had missed in your early 
literature searches. And when you don't have evidence, one is very uh, prone to bias. As part of his research into his type of brain cancer, Dave Lockhart turned up an unexpected bit of family history. My mother had had the same disease, down to the same histology. So this was very, very, very interesting to me. And we embarked on a family exercise to collect everybody's DNA, about 12 of us, I think, to have it all analyzed and see who's got it. And we haven't got through all that yet. But it really stimulated a a new thing just because I started thinking about it. And I could talk about it a lot more specifically in relation to our family, but this is not thought of as a genetic disease. The lifetime risk for brain cancer is 0.6%. Lung and breast cancers pose considerably higher risks. So to have three people in the same family seemed pretty remarkable to us. And that set off a whole new thing that I certainly had not anticipated uh, beforehand, but the minute you bring genetics up, you know, you're back with really interesting questions. If you had it, would you want to know? Even already within the family, there's the question of, if I had it, would I really want to know? And you have three children. Yep. Have you broached the subject? Are they getting tested? Or? They've been. They've We've, been tested. Okay. So, I'm uh, sorry. We have the DNA. Okay. We haven't got the Results. data yet. Okay. Right, right. So, a little, so now they're going to have to decide. in the story here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and have they decided whether? No. No. But at this point, there's no genetic marker for the cancer that David Flockhart has. So the plan is to take those DNA samples from his family members and analyze them, looking for possible patterns. So this is where bioethics and genetics meet, not in the theoretical classroom, but right (laughs) smack in the middle of of a family. That's right. I mean, there's information. There's, there's, you know, a little piece of, of material sitting in a laboratory that the answer's already there. It's just whether you want to open the envelope and find out. Does this help? I mean, in terms of when you're living with cancer and you're living with uncertainty. I mean, that ability to say, hey, we can discover things. I mean, I'm not talking about whether your children or not want to to Mm -hmm. find this, but the act of science, the act of moving science forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's hugely important, at least to me. Part of what I want to do is bring more rationality to the public discussion of cancer and to the discussion of science in in general. But the whole raison d'etre for the discussion, if you like, is partly because I approach it with a sense of wonderment and a sense of uh, wow and a sense of uh, isn't that interesting. And that's just as potent a motivation for me. It's more potent, actually, as it might be to to sit there and wonder uh, why the sky is blue or why this happened to me this way. or But you've always uh, been like that. I'm you, just weird, you, you think. You've always <laughs> been interested in, in science with that sense of wonder. I don't think anybody can, especially in the fields that you've been working in, this intersection of mm. genetics and pharmacology and why is it this way? And the most fun thing is when you get an unexpected result out of that. That's Dr. David Flockhart of the IU School of Medicine, along with his friend and colleague, Dr. Eric Meslin. We'll keep you posted.